this is gonna be the best book you ever read. Like, this is your new favorite book. Off the internet, man. I need to go be introverted. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Books in the City. I'm Libby. I'm Becky. I'm Kayla. I'm Emily. And I'm Sam. And I'm Alex. Yay! Yay! We are. It's, it's a full so, house. Yeah. Six people on the pod today. We're so excited to have Sam and Alex from the amazing The Books to Gaze podcast on our podcast today for like a little podcast inception. So yeah, we're just going to launch into an interview. Alex and Sam, can you give us an elevator pitch about The Books to Gaze? Like what is your podcast? Sam's not choosing not to go. It's hard to be on the receiving end of these questions. And now I like know maybe the anxiety that guests You're like, feel. what is our podcast? Um, Good question. I don't even know what a podcast is when you ask me a question. Um, we, ha- we are over on the Books to Gaze. We talk about queer books specifically. So almost every book we talk about is a queer book. We interview authors of queer books. And then we have the occasional guest usually a bookstagrammer who's part of the LGBTQ plus community come on and we talk about like relevant queer topics. So not always book focused, like we'll talk about coming out, different identities, like heteronormative things in society, all kinds of fun stuff. We just chat. It's a lot of chaos. There's really never a plan. <laughs> we love chaos. That's that's our podcast. We might as well just like add it into our name. Sam, do you want to add anything? <laughs> um, we are live of chaos we're a lot of fun there's a lot of gay screaming and you will hear dogs at some point throughout the whole thing so yeah little love that little tidbit so how did you guys find each other on the internet and what made you want to start a podcast um (laughs) well i was gonna see what sam's story was she can tell her version and then i'll tell mine (laughs) Okay, so uh, Alex and I joined, got brought into a queer girl chat on Instagram during like the height of quarantine. And somehow, (laughs) sorry, I'm gonna. This happens in our podcast too. (laughs) Um, I always have to yell at Sam to mute things. I don't We're know. getting the authentic yes. experience. This is what it's like for us, yeah. <laughs> um, and so we are in a chat, and me and Alex start like talking, and she was like, "Hey, have you ever thought about doing a podcast?" And I was like, "Yeah." And then we just kind of <laughs> didn't talk about it for a hot second, and then I messaged her, and I was like, "Hey, so you, like, really about this podcast?" And she was like, "Yeah." And then it just kind of happened, like. <laughs> Yeah, that's I love that. There was yeah. like really no planning. I found Sam on Instagram probably last May. She posted um, kind of like a coming out post, and it went a little like mm-hmm. viral on Bookstagram. It, it did not. Did. It did. <laughs> Even my I have like a Bookstagram chat from when I started five years ago, full of like mostly straight people, and they shared your post into my chat, and they were like, "Isn't this so great?" So then I clicked on. It. I was like, "Oh my god, I love this!" So I followed Sam. And then maybe like a month later, we ended up in that chat. And I was like, wow, I feel really cool because it was full of really like popular queer bookstagrammers. And I was like, I made it. It's official. Like, I'm one of them. 
So yeah, then we started talking and then I think we, yeah, we just randomly talked about the idea, but then Sam was like, in our personality types, like I'm very much not, she's the extrovert. So she was like messaging me like, let's do it. Let's do it. She made me FaceTime her out of the blue, which gives me anxiety. I didn't know her. I was like, I don't want to do this. Can't we just text? Bless her heart. So I am a seven. And if I love you, you're going to get all the videos. You're going to get all the voice memos. You're going to get everything. And so Alex was like, what's happening? What is this? I'd like to be alone forever. So it was it was a lot. And I was like, I need you to see my face. I need you to see how excited I am. Yeah. It's like, we need to FaceTime if we're going to make a podcast. And I was like, okay, I feel it's FaceTime. I was waiting for you to bring up your Enneagram number. Take I'm all a of seven. Five seconds <laughs> <laughs> Wait, do you all know your Enneagram? Yeah. What are they? I think so. Wait, I'm, a I'm a six. I'm a six. I believe I'm a five. Oh, I'm a five. Hey, I never meet other fives. I feel like we're a, a rare, lonely bunch. <laughs> you should come join science. Okay, I will. <laughs> there are fives aplenty. <laughs> I have to say, I know I'm a six, but I va- I like don't really remember what that means, and I have no clue what it means for everybody else. Like, I don't know what your numbers mean. I only know what mine means, which is like a Leo thing, but <laughs> I am a six to the T, and I think, Becky, you probably are too. Wait, what's six? Um, basically, just how me and Kayla are. <laughs> yeah, just us, like neurotic, anxious. <laughs> I wonder what your wings that are. That cannot be on that <laughs> yeah. test. You're anxious, <laughs> therefore, you six. I'm a wing two. Oh. Wing two? No idea. What's a wing? Oh, I thought you had to. Yeah, like six W two. I think your wing yeah. has to be one of the two, either the number before or after. But you can make it whatever you want. Oh, no, I think I'm a wing. <laughs> then four. what quiz did I take? I, I don't know. This is getting worse. Okay, we are this going is off, off on a tangent. Wait, wait, wait. For I made the, up my wing. For the people who don't know what is an enneagram, it's like a personality. Yeah, like a Myers right? Briggs, but different. But the same. And it makes me laugh because, like you guys, I just know mine. But then I like to pretend like I know everything else. So I'm like, oh, yeah, you're definitely an Enneagram blank. And I'm never right. <laughs> never. <laughs> this is Sam's whole life, though. When she's dating, she's like, I can't date an Enneagram this. And I can't do this with that. I'm like, shut up. Just date people. Excuse me. There's reasons. Okay. I have valid reasons. Thank oh, you. You have, you're working like through this whole confirmation bias with Enneagrams and I need you to work yourself out of it. So do you feel that way about like other personality things? Like, do you feel equally strongly about Myers-Briggs or like astrological, astro, astrological side? I like to tell everyone that I am an Enneagram gay and not an astrology gay. She does, because- yeah. I know nothing about astrology. I wish I did. But, like, my mom can't give me the right time that I was born to save her life. Like, she's told me five different times. And so, like... (laughs) The episode where you talk about this and Alex was like, go get your birth certificate. I was like, yeah, go get your birth certificate. (laughs) My mom, I'm pretty sure, threw my birth certificate out. Like, you can order a new one from the county. Yeah, Yeah. you can go to town hall. This happened to my sister. My sister has lost four birth certificates. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, that's a whole other episode. I think she's <laughs> all on how she birth certificates. I'm just saying, I think Not she's to throw seven. my mom under the bus. <laughs> Sorry to derail with our Enneagram discussion. <laughs> okay, so I guess to kind of elaborate more on the impetus behind the podcast, 
because uh, it sounds like you guys were a COVID baby podcast as well. Um, why was it important for you to specifically focus your podcast around um, queer life and reading? Um, I like to tell people that my journey coming out is different than a lot of people's. I came out when I was 28 um, and I'm 31. So it has been a journey and a recent journey. Um, but it's also so good because coming out and having a book that relates to me and being able to like read and see myself in the character was so important. And before then, like before the seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo, that was my first gay read. I'd never read anything like that. And I just think it's so important for people to be able to see that and see themselves in a book and be like, oh yeah, I feel that way too. Or, oh man, like I'm questioning that too. Or I, I see myself there. And, um, and then like, I can't, whenever I love a book, I can't stop gay screaming about it. It is <laughs> apparent to everyone. <laughs> yeah. I think we wanted to create like a niche space that, focused on the importance of finding that representation and whether or not it matches your experience. We talk a lot about like that one book you read where you're like, oh, like, wow, gay people exist. And like, you can date a girl and I didn't know this was possible. And we all have like that quintessential moment. And then we wanted to kind of talk about relevant queer topics too, because something we've seen in a pattern with our guest is Usually when you start to question your identity and you're like working on coming out to yourself, you like search for that information. So I know like I watched a lot of YouTube couples who were like gay YouTube girls living their lives. And I'm like reading or like watching coming out videos for like a year. And I'm like, okay, that's how they did it. Like, let me take all this advice. So I think it just is helpful to have something that specific that other people can listen to and either find something like, oh yeah, I did that too. Or I'm going through this and like these people have done it or they're talking about it and I don't feel so alone right I love that kind of along the same lines so both of you have been pretty candid about your respective coming out journeys on bookstagram and on the podcast and I know Sam you just mentioned Evelyn Hugo but were there any books that helped you on your journey or books that you would recommend or point to to anyone else who might be currently going through their own journey Oh my God, so many. I feel like now that I'm in like the queer literature realm, mm-hmm. it's, it's amazing how many there are. But Evelyn Hugo was definitely one of the first I read. And then um, I've talked about this, but I never really see the books on Bookstagram. Ashley Herring Blake, um, she wrote a young adult book called How to Make a Wish, which had, um, I want to say like a lesbian main character and a bisexual love interest, a female both female that I read and I was like, oh, like this, I, this, this, I feel some type of way about reading this. And then (laughs) she writes her, the rest of her books are middle grade right now, but she has a adult romance book coming out next year. That's sapphic. Um, so that one, how to make a wish and Evelyn Hugo were like the books I read first. And then now there's just so many that I would recommend. I could write like a thesis. (laughs) <laughs> I'll, dissert- I'll defend the dissertation of queer literature. Um, I think we'd all read yeah, your dissertation would. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would say something to talk about. Oh, man. I loved that book. Mara Wilsner. Amazing. <laughs> um, I read Honey Girl 
this like the start of this year and it was fantastic it was beautiful and it definitely captured a millennial story um that was past the coming out stage I feel like so many times books really like hone in on the coming out stage but not past it and so I felt like that one was such a good one and it wasn't just centered on her being queer but it was centered on like so many other things um those are my two big screams yeah (laughs) for sure (laughs) holding on to those okay so you guys have had some incredible author interviews who would be your dream interviewee okay I got this um (laughs) For people listening, Sam just came yeah. like very she close out to the knock her whole She's already on the floor. She's going to knock everything <laughs> over. Okay. Kristen Arnett. <gasps> huge one. Sorry. I didn't mean to guess. <laughs> that was Libby <laughs> gasping. <laughs> Maybe Casey couldn't tell. Never mind. Never mind. And I would say Kristen Arnett, Gabby Rivera. Mm. And those are my two. I would say. Oh, and um, Becky Albertalli. Those are my three that I would say, like, Ooh. would blow my mind. And, Those are good. You know, make me sad. This is hard. I feel like we've interviewed – Emily Danforth would have been one of my big ones, and we got to talk to her. Um, so I'm thinking I will echo Gabby Rivera. I would love to talk to her. She also got to talk to Brene Brown Ooh. on Brene Brown's podcast. And, and I, it was so good. I feel like if I could talk to Gabby, I'd be <laughs> one step away from Brene. And I'm like, how do I get all of you into my friendship? Oh, like Kevin Bacon. Yes. Yeah. Now I'm in like seven, seven realms of Brene Brown. Um, <laughs> but so new podcast. Gabby um. Rivera, probably Leah Johnson. I wish uh, we could have talked to Leah now like you know, she's making like a bazillion dollars for her next book release. So the time has passed for that. Um, That'd be a good one. And then probably um, Carmen Maria Machado. Mm -hmm. I like have so many questions for for her brain. Um, I would also like to step in really quick and say Abby Wambach, but that is not for any book related content. That is just purely for myself content. Okay, but we could, I would love to talk to Glennon Doyle Melton. She writes books. Yeah. And I met Abby Wambach one time. Me too. Over, I met her over cheese and I didn't know who she was. And I like let she asked oh. me about the cheese and I was like, you can have the cheese. It's fine. And then I walked away. <laughs> I was at like a Glennon Doyle Melton speech oh, event. No. And then I left and the people I was with, they're like, did you know who that was? And I was like, nope. <laughs> I, know, I miss my moment. Maybe there. maybe she'll remember you. Probably. I'm sure it was yeah. significant for her. You're the cheese girl. I know you. <laughs> a really small point of time in your life abby please <laughs> i would read that book the meta that's all it is just that one moment for <laughs> yeah. I mean, what a good way to meet someone i love cheese cheese is relatable yeah <laughs> uh, she's the man really talked about it speaking of cheese not really um so of all the guests you had on the podcast who were you the most like intimidated by would you say like if Abby walked on, would you be like, do you remember when we, we had cheese kind of? I would. I would say. You let me I, so Sam is really, Sam doesn't really funny. ever, I don't, I don't know what I'm saying, but like I over prepare for things. So I'll like create literally like 
word for word what everyone is going to say at every time if someone's coming on, but Sam just like kind of wings it all. And she never gets... Sounds a lot like our podcast. Yeah. (laughs) She never gets intimidated by authors. And I'm always like peeing my pants before. And I'm like, this is like a celebrity to me. And then they're they're just so casual that I then feel stupid. But Okay, I'm going to say that is not true because... Alex always has like such an articulate, articulate way that like, I prepare. Can... I'm like in my room reading the questions out loud. I'm like, okay, for her. Actually, on page two, like the way that you said this, like da 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 da. Um, I think I get more like anxious about bookstagrammers. I do not know why. Oh wow, and, that's interesting. Like. We had Hunter shelf by shelf come on, and like I'm FaceTiming Alex, and I'm like, okay, like, are we sure? Like, like we have to be cool. We have to be cool. And she's like, what is wrong with you? Don't know. I love that. Waiting to figure that out. Um, I think I was most intimidated by Emily Danforth because to me, like, I read Miseducation of that was like the third gay book I ever read, so it was super like relevant to me and it's made been made into a movie so in my mind she's like way up here in terms of like author celebrity I'm like you have like a whole movie with your book like what are you doing here with us she made it yeah but yeah that was such a good interview though I loved and both seemed cool as cucumbers I will say (laughs) cool as cucumbers like I literally will write out exactly you say this you say this you say this but then Sam doesn't pay attention to my script. So I'm like, ah, she's going off script. <laughs> can't help it. Relatable. And something pops in my brain. I'm like, I got to say it. That's and nice. I'm like, this is not I've never felt question. more what seen. Are we doing? <laughs> okay. We have some rapid fire questions. But before we get into those, I've been waiting to ask this mm-hmm. my whole life. What is giving you life this week? Sam is so excited. And if you don't, if this doesn't make sense to you, please go listen to an episode of The Books to Gaze. And it's such a joyous part of every episode of theirs. And it's great. Sometimes we forget it until it's been like 15 minutes. And I look at Sam and I'm like, hello. And I'm like, oh, yeah. wait, okay. If we say it, are you guys going to say yours? What's giving your life this week? What's giving you life this your week? Life. Oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. I'm prepared. Um, I have to think. You have to go first. Okay, so I have a date after this. Ooh. I'm very excited. It's going to be really chill. And so, yeah, that's definitely giving me some life this week. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. There's a wing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, too bad you didn't record this tomorrow. Um, Oh. (laughs) Sorry. Oh. (laughs) Forgive me. I, I thought that was a positive thing. I took that positively. It is. Maybe yes. be in a great mood tomorrow. No, that's it right. is. Yeah. And that's why you should have you should have asked her what is giving her life on Sunday morning. <laughs> um, let's see. I'm trying to think about my week. It was pretty regular. I'm gonna go to the pool after this. So oh. that's Oh jealous. Yeah, it's, very, it's 85 degrees in Florida right now. So one of my friends is like, Do you wanna go to the beach? But I'm already like going to a pool. So either way, I'll be in water. I water. Oh. I am jealous. Jealous. That's borderline oh. rude to say to this crew of <laughs> New York City dwellers. It is nice here in New York yeah. though, right now. Not so. pool nice. But um, not pool you guys nice. are always welcome to come. 
stay in the treehouse. We'll have another like recording. No we'll all be together. Uh, uh, that sounds so yeah. fun. We'll be there next weekend. We're gonna show up at your doorstep. Okay, Becky. And you're gonna be like, I was joking. Sam would Sam would love if you showed up at her doorstep. I was about to say you don't know me. Like I, I would not answer the door, but she'd be like so excited. Here we are. Everyone I'm fully the person who like if someone knocks unexpectedly, yeah. you like drop to the ground and don't move for Nobody 30 talk. minutes. Like, no one's supposed to be here. 30 minutes. I did that too. Lights turn off. Yeah, like, you uh, like hide in the corner. Halloween. <laughs> We're out of candy. Lights turned off. We're hiding. <laughs> okay, wait. Yeah, everyone else, what's giving you light? Um, I woke up early today and did yoga with friends on Zoom. So that's what's giving wow. me light. Wow. That's nice. Wow. It's very pleasant. I'm very stretched and ready to go. <laughs> this is like, I don't know if this is like a little emo though, but both my parents are vaccinated oh, now. No, that's good. Oh my God. As of this week. Yeah. Really I love that. Yeah. Not me, but they are. <laughs> okay, Still waiting. Your time will come. You'll, you'll, yeah. You'll yeah. I can go. I feel like mine's kind of boring, but I made a, I discovered a really good new snack that I made. Oh. That's not boring. It, it, it kind of is. It's like uh, jerk roasted chickpeas. Oh, I saw that in your story. So good. Shockingly delicious. I can't stop thinking about them. And so easy. So I'm just, I'm going to go with that. We'll drop the recipe in the show notes along with all the links to the books to gaze oh yes of course. <laughs> i really love that for you libby thanks my jerk it's <laughs> like a snack influencer yeah. every time you drop these unique flavors, yeah the pickles oh, that was a big one i, need to go replace I was them. buying pickles because of libby's stories too i was like i don't, I don't know <laughs> how does it how does it feel to be a pickle influencer i sort of felt like i need to contact deets and watson because people were like oh i'm like looking for these in my <laughs> store now or i just ordered these and i was like am i giving them sales you need to gather the evidence you should yeah you are promo promo oh my god that yeah Livy <laughs> 10 yeah, I would love that anyway so all right Emily your turn okay mine is I'm not proud of it <laughs> oh, but no. I was <laughs> I really needed some trash reality tv and my roommate had it on in the background and then I got sucked in I was like these people are, you're not good enough for him but it's a dating show called are you the one yeah. oh yeah it was produced by MTV so it's got the right amount of trash and like liquor and they <laughs> all have to like I don't even know that I could describe the process to you, but it's like they have to, they, they're they like they're the one. matched by like a algorithm, which I'm pretty sure is in high quotation marks <laughs> and whatever the producers thought should go down. And then they all win money if like there's the right amount of people who found their quote unquote perfect match. I love reality um, TV. This sounds great. They get so drunk. There's like a room called the Boom Boom Room, which in season one was just mattresses on the oh floor. Oh my God. This is giving me like frankly, Jersey Shore vibes. And yeah, yeah, it's it's trashy. It's like, it's not good. I, I think I lost brain cells, but it did <laughs> get me. Well, you should be proud of it. Remember, there's no such thing as a guilty pleasure. Yeah. Here's the thing. Um, I think that there's a potential interviewee for the podcast because oh. this guy is what? a model, and I'm going to reach out to him. Does he have anything he... to do with books? Yeah, oh, okay. he was on the cover of a Cassandra Clare book, and I was like, this is <laughs> wow. Which one? I'm down. Let me ask him. I would listen to that. Just wow, is he single? <laughs> 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 Kayla hasn't seen him. 
She's like, <laughs> you're on a bottle head. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, Cassandra Clara, that's like Shadowhunters. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, okay. Sorry, my bad. Um, yeah, so that's on Netflix. I'm oh, it's on Netflix? Netflix? Yeah. Wow. I think yeah. one of the episodes, or one of the seasons. Is gay. Yeah, gay. they do have a queer one. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Oh, cool. I'm tempted to skip just to that that's one. That's how I knew that obviously. this show existed. <laughs> yeah. I've seen a few people watching it. Nice. Well, are you guys ready? For the rapid fire round. <laughs> we're ready. Okay, so the theme of this rapid fire round is who is more likely to? So we're going to read off <laughs> things and then you'll let us know who is more likely to do said thing. So first up, who is more likely to be late to work? Oh, am. Alex, no hesitation. <laughs> <laughs> I never hesitate. Um, yeah, it's me. Alex will be an hour and a half early and just be like, I just got here. And like, I, I know that I'm an hour and a half early, but what can I do for you? They just give me keys to the door. I come. <laughs> and I'm like rolling in with iced coffee and I'm like, hey, it, this looks really bad. I'm so sorry. Don't look at this cup. You need the coffee. I do the same thing. It's fine. I thought you guys were going to say Emily. Sam and Emily. Yeah. Emily the answer too. is Emily. <laughs> um, Emily. Libby said that we are the most alike, and it made me very excited. And I was like, twin. (laughs) And then I was like, actually, I kind of feel like I'm a little bit of Kayla, too. I do. A mix of Kayla. Yeah. I feel like we have a lot of common interests. I got you, girl. Yeah. I got you. I am Becky. (laughs) I'm getting very strong Becky vibes from you in this whole interview. I'm like, wow. I know. I was going to say. Becky wing Lizzie. Yeah. (laughs) That's actually what I said. Becky wing Lizzie. So funny. Okay. Who is more likely to leave their phone in a public bathroom? Sam. (laughs) These are all going to be Sam. We didn't do this to try and throw Sam under the bus. We swear. I'm sorry, Sam. It's not me. <laughs> I can't help it, guys. <laughs> yeah, it's me. <laughs> I have lost my phone so many times. It's not even funny. A lot of times I leave my phone on top of my car and drive off. <gasps> oh, my God. Oh, Here's an unrelated one. Who would be more likely to take in a stray dog or animal? Sam. Alex would be like, what kind of dog are you? I would have to figure out the logistics first. Like, I don't know. That's fair. My home is open. I have a lot of do- like. Well, you have the same amount of dogs. I don't know. My house is small. <laughs> I live in a tree house. Don't All right, it's still you. <laughs> okay, ready for the next one? Yes, thank you. Who is more likely to finish the book on time for a buddy read? Mm. Me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Alex. Wait, who said that? It's it's Alex. Um, I. We have a recording, or no, with Queerly Ever After with Quinn on Sunday night, and I, I have love yet her. to read oh. the book. Sam, Sam will finish it five <sighs> seconds before we start anything. Recording. Okay, but, Sam's then it's fresh in your mind. <laughs> okay, listen, yes, and Alex will tell you, well, we just did Detransition Baby, and I had finished it, like... 30 minutes before we recorded. So I was like, oh my gosh, my mind is blown. Da, 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 da. And she was like, oh. Okay. I still remember. Once you once you reminded me, I'm there. <laughs> so honestly, like, it works in our favor. Okay, last one. <laughs> Who is more likely to say I love you on a first date? Sam. No. 
It's, it's, I wouldn't even say, I wouldn't even say I love you like three years later. So it's you. I, of course I have, but I'm definitely not saying it anytime soon. So, um, I would say it's me, but I, that's a terrifying word to me. And so I might just be like, I feel like you'd say it in like a funny, like, oh my God, you're so funny. I love you. And not like I'm in love with you, but you would definitely drop like, I love you so much. Yeah, having to me every time. It's super awkward because they're like, I love you too. And I'm like, oh, that good. Stop saying it. Learn a lesson from me. Just don't ever say it. I tell you I love you all the time. I'm like, I love you. Yeah, and then I say, okay, bye. Talk to you later. (laughs) That's not true. I will pull up her feet. She tells me she loves me back. Thank you. Okay. Every so often. This is the one non-Becky Alex trait then because Becky was our voted most likely to say I love you on a first date. Yeah, first first date, I'm like, so what? Um, colors are you thinking for the wedding? Um, what food do you want? I'm thinking breakfast for dinner. Um, yeah. Becky, not in a very like non-offensive way, you would make a great lesbian. <laughs> because that's what they I'm do. I'm not offended one And that's why I run away. <laughs> that was offensive. There's nothing I just, wrong. I don't want to like, you know, assume anyone's identity. So. Just throwing it out there. Not offensive. Not offensive. <laughs> She really adopted that U-Haul trait. (laughs) Okay, this was a beautiful experience talking to you guys. Thank you so much for coming on and answering all of our chaotic questions. Thank you for having us, guys. All four of you will have to pop up on our podcast, too. Yeah, Yeah, it would be fun. And I gotta say, given that there were six of us, it went well. I know. It was good. Um, I'm truly amazed. We look like the Brady Bunch on this Zoom writing class is <laughs> we're, we're all saying it went well and becky's like this is gonna be a nightmare to edit thanks <laughs> i'm like sweating yeah sweat smile emoji <laughs> <laughs> no no it went really, well it was great it was so fun yeah let can you let us know one more time where we can find the podcast on the internet and then you too as well we are at the books to gaze on instagram and twitter and then i am at the book advocate on instagram and I am at Stacks on Stacks on Instagram, but it's weird. It's S-T-A-X-S and S-T-A-X-S. And if you add the other guy, he's not very nice and he won't add you back. I can't. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We'll just look for the viral coming out post. Yeah. In the treehouse. Yeah. Also, um, everyone keep your ears peeled because Libby is going to be on... An episode of the Books yeah. to Gays coming very soon. Yeah, the yes. same week. Dedicate a good yeah. chunk of time to it. It's way it's too long. One. It's such a good one. <laughs> it's not way too long. It is just long enough. Yeah. Perfect. Yay. All right. Thank, well, thank you, you so much. Should we talk about books? Yes. Yeah. I'll go first. (laughs) Do it. Okay. Um, Okay. So I'm talking about The Paper Girl of Paris by Jordan Taylor. It came out in May of 2020. Content warning before I get started. It does mention a character with depression. Um, It's kind of a main plot point for that character. So keep that in mind. If you pick this up, I'm not really going to get too into it. But as usual, check out the show notes for timestamps. Okay, so this is a YA historical fiction that is set in a dual timeline of present day and World War II Paris. 
So I know I talked about a YA historical fiction set in the Revolutionary War era in a previous episode, but I think this is my first YA World War II book. And I think my first World War II YA book ever. Like, I, I don't feel like I know many. I wish I had known about these type of books when I was reading YA as like a teen because like it's now my favorite genre. And so I definitely didn't read many when I was a teen. So anyway, and I have in my notes, alas. Um, (laughs) Okay, so The Paper Girl of Paris is about Alice and she's a teen from New Jersey. Her grandma has just passed away and she's like super heartbroken. Her grandma was her best friend. She'd stop over at her grandma's house after school and they'd sit and talk for like hours. When Alice was a little girl, she spent a lot of time with her grandma because her mom dealt with a very serious depression. And so her parents would be like, have her go stay at her grandma's for a while where when while the parents dealt with the stuff that they were dealing with. So the family finds out that Alice's grandma left an apartment in Paris to Alice, which goals. Um, Everyone is shocked because a... While they knew grandma grew up in Paris, they didn't know she had an apartment there still. And B, she left it to a teen. Like, okay. <laughs> Wait, where do they live? They Somewhere. live in New Jersey. Oh, okay. How old is she? Like, she's like high school. Okay. Like, uh, late high school. Yeah. Casual inheritance. She's 13 yeah. and has an apartment <laughs> in Paris. Paris, everyone. Right. But the news of this breaks Alice's mom's heart because she obviously feels a little cheated by this, but also she didn't know. She finds out that she didn't know so much about her mom. And so she's like mad and it kind of puts her back into this, what the family calls bout of darkness. And one thing to note about this family is like they don't talk about their feelings and it's really detrimental to the mom and her mental health. So the family kind of deals with the mom's darkness for the rest of the book. So Alice and her family, they pack up, they head for Paris to stay for a short time to sort out the apartment and deal with the will and stuff. When they open the door to this apartment, they are even more shocked because it is sitting completely untouched since the family left during the occupation. (gasps) So this is like a time capsule, like clothes strewn around the bedroom from when they were like, hurry, grab what you can. Oh my God. Whoa. Yeah. So, like, notebooks are left open. Like, it is suspended in time. So, Alice quickly begins exploring, and she finds that her grandma had a sister that nobody knew about. And, obviously, that means Alice had a great aunt that she never knew about. She snoops around the room, and it uncovers this diary written by her great aunt, Adeline, during the occupation of France. So, the diary tells these heart-wrenching stories of what it was like to live in Paris during that time. So, from this point... We bounce between the two timelines. So you're introduced to Adeline in the diary, but then you also switch to her perspective. So it's Adeline during World War II and Alice's grandma. And they're living in Paris and they're kind of wealthy society girls who are seen in the newspaper and stuff like that. But they're still absolutely furious and hate the Germans and everything that they stand for. But Adeline knows that they can't outwardly be like, we hate the Germans because the Germans would retaliate against them. So they're trying to kind of just survive by like going under the radar. But Adeline begins to do small secret acts of rebellion, like ripping down Nazi posters when she's on her way to get rations. So one day while doing this, Adeline stumbles upon a boy who's doing the same. So the two become fast friends and Adeline begins even more secretive work, delivering papers and documents for the resistance. So she is such an amazing character. She she goes even further than that, but I don't want to get into it because I don't want to spoil anything. But she is so cool and so strong. And 
I could have read a whole other book of Jess Adeline. But in Alice's timeline, she's trying to piece together whatever she can about this unknown aunt. So she, as I said, she found the diary, but she starts to spend hours and hours doing her best to like translate it and figure out everything she can about her. But she also found a photo of her aunt in the bottom of a drawer that shows her having a fancy dinner with a group of Nazis. (gasps) Yeah. So she's like sick to her stomach. She's like, oh, my God, I'm related to a Nazi sympathizer. I have to still learn about her, though. I'm like, I want to learn more. I want to figure out what what led her to take this. Does photo. she see that photo as she's reading the journal? Yeah. So she's so confused. She's like, this journal sounds like she despises Nazis. But this photo sounds seems like she like, infiltrated. Sounds like she yeah. like was friends and took the resistance like one step further. Well, that's not what Alice sees in this. She's so confused. She's like, she must have eventually warmed up to the Germans. Like, oh, she's very confused. She's like, I have to find out. So she be- she begins this journey of discovering about the past. And along the way, she meets a boy named Paul who Did helps they fall her in love? and stuff. I have in my notes. Wink, wink. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so it's so interesting. I really enjoyed it. And one of the things about this book is I wish I had more of a tie to history in my family. Like, I have no idea when my family came to America. I have no idea where they came from or why. And books like this, I'm like living vicariously, like Mm -hmm. somebody discovering some crazy thing, like people who find out 23andMe, like, Mm -hmm. oh, I found a like a family member. Like, I wish I had something like that. But mine is very much like, oh, you are a white person. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Congrats. So yeah, I that was something that I enjoyed in this book. Um, I gave it four stars. I really liked it. It was a quick read. Um, I think it took me like two days. I would have given it five, but I will say it was a bit frustrating because you see a- Adeline's story, but you're also screaming at Alice on the page. You're like, okay, let's use some common sense here. Like, yeah. how are you still incorrect about this assumption? <laughs> it's right in front of like you. Because it was like, it was that kind of ya vibe you know like it was a really well written book and i really enjoyed it and it didn't make me want to put it down like i still was like oh i have to find out what happens to her but alice's storyline was like lacking for me in that but like i still highly recommend it it was a really good read and i loved like all the paris things like they go to a museum of resistance in the present day timeline oh that's cool and Mm -hmm. like walks through like Versailles and stuff like that and I was like transported and it was it was a really fun read so yeah. I want to read this yes you should and if we ever go to Paris can we go to that museum yeah okay. if it exists <laughs> what was this called this was called the paper girl of Paris by Jordan Taylor what is that I wasn't trying to like have you wrap up because I actually was oh. curious like what it can you ex- or so like, what is the paper, paper girl? girl like what does that mean so i it was never like fully explained but my okay. assumption is because she was delivering papers for the resistance like around mm. okay and like when she first gets involved with the resistance she's giving out pamphlets or like leaving them like sneaking them into somebody's purse at the ration like at the mm. grocery store when pe- women are getting rations or like leaving them on the train just like pamphlets um, so I think that's where the paper girl thing comes from. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Also check out the cover because it's really cool. I'll look it up right now. Yeah. But yeah, that was The Paper Girl of Paris by Jordan Taylor. Emily, what did you read? I read The Fact of a Body, colon, A Murder and a Memoir by Alexandria Marzano-Lesnovich. 
and it is a heavy one. So I'm just going to throw out there in the beginning, uh, like pretty serious content warning for child abuse, sexual assault, and death of a child. Um, it's a true crime book and also a memoir, but I found that it was particularly affecting because I listened to it on audiobook and it was narrated by the author oh, wow. who is describing a lot of their personal trauma and their personal connections to this case that happens to be a pretty severe one. So like my stomach for true crime is pretty like not a lot phases me, but I found that I was like having to pause my audiobook a lot to like sit and sit with it and digest it and everything um which is a testament to this author's like writing capabilities but also just like heavy warnings for everybody out there i actually heard about this because i think alex from the booksy gaze podcast <laughs> had talked oh. about it alex had mentioned and then i double checked online that the author um is interrogating their gender identities so um i think their second novel will be something along those lines which is um interesting so basically the the story is folded in in like two parts and i do think even though it's non-fiction it is it, it it's like a it is a story it reads like there's a beginning middle and end which i do appreciate and I actually looked up the review for this on the New York Times and I was annoyed because they kind of like spoiled the ending and I get annoyed when people spoil nonfiction works because like I know it's oh. all fact but mm. this author like still had a point to make. Um, well you ask us to spoil things for you I all know. the time. <laughs> yeah what's that about? But like I don't, you know. You draw the line at nonfiction. Right. Don't spoil my nonfiction. Because <laughs> then what's the point in reading the nonfiction? Well, in like a newspaper review, that's. Yeah. I wouldn't in the New York Times, it's all there. I was like, yeah. oh, this is the whole friggin' book. So mm. if you're not, if you don't want to read the book, just read the <laughs> Times review. Um, okay. So the crime that happens is essentially that this young man, Ricky Langley, is a prisoner on death row for the murder uh, and possible rape of a six-year-old boy in Louisiana. So the author becomes embroiled in this case because they're a Harvard-educated lawyer. They got into law school with the intention of opposing the death penalty. So this author was, like, picking out where they wanted to do their internships, and they were saying, you know, I want to intern for essentially firms that are going to defend criminals because they they oppose the death penalty. So like in their interview process, a lot of the firms would be like, how would you feel defending a child molester? Like, would you be okay defending a murderer? Like, where are the the lines for you? It turns out like in theory, the author was comfortable with that because they think that there's dignity of life for everybody and they just didn't see like legally speaking how you could the you know like the justice system could end a life but then this case really challenges their perception of the death penalty because of the some things from this author's past and I don't want to spoil it it was really affecting the way that they unveiled their personal trauma, their history with some aspects of the case. 
and the writing was like beautiful you can tell this person is an amazing lawyer because and it's called the fact of a body and they explain at the beginning that that's the way that you would pitch like a criminal court case is the the legal jargon for phrasing like evidence and things that you can the logic flow of like a lawyer building their case there's some like indisputable things so that's why it's called like the fact of a body the author was so good about like describing setting and like putting you in the place of like where the crime was set I could just picture myself as like a juror and being wowed and felt like I was in Louisiana or like felt like I was in all these different places and I feel like when you're consuming I consume a lot of true crime and I think I was impressed by the way the author made me almost sympathetic towards Ricky Lanely like the man who definitely murdered a kid like left a child in a closet for several days while the mom was looking for him like that is so fucked up but I found myself like weighing like seeing things from a different perspective which I think is really useful like crime is not always straightforward and I'm I'm not like defending this thing but I think (laughs) I think like as a book it was thought-provoking because it's not just like a straightforward narrative and you kind of saw all these facets and like the made the memoir part is something that like I'm not really talking about a lot but in the memoir part it's essentially the thesis of the book I will say like in the memoir aspect there's crime that happens within a family within a home and that's like the hardest thing to prosecute the hardest thing to get justice for and the most damaging on someone's psyche if like your family isn't able to talk about all the trauma that's happened between family members it's so much harder to process and like for the victim to feel at peace with like who they are so basically the author is saying like the guilt of crimes should not be on the victim like there shouldn't be so much shame attached with coming forward about something that happened to you it should be like the abuser should feel the shame like the abuser should shoulder the burden it was really well done true crime I just think like I personally deflect a lot of the darker things with like humor I listen to a lot of like true crime comedy podcasts which is nice right but then I think that creates distance between like the heartache and this is like a first person testimony on someone who's been through a lot of shit and I think like it's good to balance out the comedy with reminding yourself that like there's a lot of like healing that needs to get done yeah I haven't like really picked up a true crime book like this before but I was like whoa it was heavy but I'm glad I listened to it and I would recommend it I mean not if you're like in a dark place because sometimes I was like working late into the night and I would be like I don't know that these are like the thoughts I should have before I fall asleep you know it's just kind of like <laughs> maybe like <laughs> when you're feeling ready for it but so so well done um so yeah that was called oh and like again thanks to alex for putting on my radar how many stars i gave it like four just because um it was hard for me to process in big chunks but super super good oh i've seen this cover yeah the cover is like 
half red, half white. Um, and yeah, it's, it's well done. And that was called The Fact of a Body. Wait, I have a question. Sure, yeah. Did the author, like, just become interested in the case, or did they represent the man? So, right, so they, oh, I should clarify, yeah, they were interning at the law firm that was defending Ricky Laneley. So, like, the author was confronted by this case, and, like, the thing that I'm dancing around is they met Ricky Laneley, and all of a sudden they were like, maybe I do believe in the death penalty. So because wow. they shit. just had to like confront some things about their past and and Ricky Laneley's past. So it, it just like stuck with them. It was like one of those cases that they remember vividly and had to write. Wow. So, yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. I told you it was heavy. <laughs> the tone in the mo- the room just <laughs> went down. Um, yeah, I but mean, we weren't too peachy talking about Nazis, before. right? <laughs> I know, and the Nazis are the lightest thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. God. Um, Yikes. So yeah, that's the fact of a body. By who? I don't think she's on the. She's title. working on. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the fact of a body by um, Alexandria Marzano Lesnovich. Libby, what'd you read? I ca- mine's kind of not similar to yours at all, but like similar in that it's a weird mix of like um, nonfiction and memoir. So that's interesting. But wait, is a memoir not nonfiction? Sorry, like more biography or like true crime mixed with memoir. Oh. You know, not just like straight memoir. Okay, okay, got it. Yeah, like usually that would be two different genres, yeah. right? Well, let me tell you about <laughs> mine. <laughs> um, so I read my autobiography of Carson McCullers by Jen Chaplin, which even like the title, because autobiography is like someone writing about their own life, but this is obviously an author writing about a different person's life. So I feel like the title like encapsulates the weird genre bending that this one kind of does. But this it was a super interesting read about a writer named Carson McCullers who was pretty active in the 40s and 50s. She's like an American author who I had never heard of. And reading this, I was like, she's written, I think, 15 or she wrote. She's dead now. But she wrote a lot of books. A lot of them were adapted to movies, but I had never heard of her. And her super well-known book was The Heart is a Lonely Hunter, which I had like vaguely yeah. feel like I recognized, but Carson McCullers is very like farm life, right? No. Oh, never mind. <laughs> well, she, I mean, like she's a lot from, of tall grass on all the covers. She's from Missouri and like a small town in Missouri, yeah. but she moved to New York and I, she wrote about a lot of like tumultuous interpersonal relationships oh, and like shows what i know <laughs> yeah maybe some were said i don't know i've never read <laughs> her I get this impression? and i hadn't heard of her before this book so that was kind of interesting to not to be like i know every american author but i feel like i'm kind of well versed in like literature so it was just like a wild thing anyway she seems like a super cool lady because like i mentioned she is from a small town in Missouri, but she moved to New York and she ran with this super 
literary crowd of the day. Like she was close friends with Truman Capote mm. and Tennessee Williams and like Paul Bowles and Jane Bowles, that writer couple. She lived in a house in Brooklyn in like this commune style, like living arrangement with a bunch of writers and like New York art people of the day. So I feel like if they made a movie about her life, I would definitely watch it. But so this specific book is obviously not by Carson McCullers. It's by Jen Shapland. And it's telling the story of Carson's life, specifically focusing on her queerness, which is all but explicitly stated in her history, like kind of throughout Carson McCullers past, which is super rarely discussed or acknowledged in like reflections on her work. Mm-hmm. And like queerness in her books is also this huge theme that like is kind of just overlooked or had been I think prior to recently or at least that's what Jen the author was finding so Jen's interest in Carson McCullers opened up when she was doing graduate work and she was an archivist 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 and stumbles upon these letters from someone named Anne Marie to Carson and it in these letters there I mean they're like love letters and they're basically like evidence that they that these two women were in a relationship so Jen latches onto this because she feels very seen and she at the time that she stumbles upon these letters is just getting out of a six-year-long relationship with a woman that was like closeted like the whole time for six years that they were dating she like said they were roommates and it was like that kind of relationship so she sees these letters and she's like recognizing almost instantly like that there's something in these letters and that this was not just a friendship and she kind of latches on to Carson McCuller's life and like gets I mean pretty obsessed like she's like consumed by her research on this author she starts a residency that entails living in Carson's childhood home in Missouri in Missouri and as she's doing her archive work in Carson's childhood home she is like examining her own life and identity alongside Carson's hidden (laughs) or intentionally like covered up identity it was super interesting to read because it's very much like a mixed bag of genres like you're getting Jen's memoir as she's like examining her own identity but you're also getting kind of a biography of Carson McCullers and you know like through research but also through like uh, oh and I found this item of clothing in her home kind of thing and then also a little bit into like queer theory and this idea specifically with female relationships in history and like this need for explicit proof like Mm. the default was that women were just friends Mm -hmm. and like you basically all but needed like evidence that there were these lesbian relationships and Jen hates this notion because she's like I'm reading love letters right now like I know what is true I am seeing myself all of that But then at the same time, as she's becoming obsessed with Carson's life, she's like looking for this proof herself. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of gets into like, 
I don't know, like just what that means for all queer people in history. So it, I thought it was a really inventive way to tell a lot of different stories at once in like a pretty succinct and riveting way. But at the same time, I memoir isn't like my favorite genre, especially if I don't, this sounds, I don't know how to say this without sounding like rude, but sometimes when people write memoirs, I'm like, why should I care? You know, like <laughs> about your. I think that's like a fair assessment. Like I think most people probably think that way. And yeah. I don't think it's rude. And it wasn't, I wasn't feeling that when I was reading this, but I did sort of feel like the way that the author, Jen, was inserting herself into the story took me out of the story sometimes because I was like, like, for example, at one point, she's like talking about how she would look at pictures of Carson and was like, I started feeling like we looked alike and like they don't look alike at all. So like on the one hand, I think this was probably intentional and I think it was a good way to indicate like, you know, like who doesn't want to feel seen throughout history type of thing. So I think there's a theme of like queer people latching on to any kind of like hint of queerness throughout history to be like oh I, I've always been here someone like me has existed before and that mm-hmm. kind of thing so it was interesting in that way but then at times I was just like let's like uh, keep moving yeah like I don't you know you don't look like this author <laughs> you know that, that's not the only part but she doesn't even go here <laughs> yeah so that was the the only thing uh, that I do like a single complaint that I had about this book that I feel like the author got a little bit in her own way. But at the same time, I thought it was so fascinating. It was a really fascinating way to tell this story of like historical memory and like what's true and like wh- what when you know something to be true, but what actually existed in these historical figures lives, I guess. So, yeah, I liked it. <laughs> it's, it was like a weird one and not like anything I've ever read in the memoir vein or in the nonfiction vein really before like I've never seen these things combined in this way but I guess if I read the fact of a body it kind of maybe would but um, yeah I gave it four stars what was that? My Autobiography of Carson McCullers by Jen Chaplin Kayla what did you read? I read We Begin at the End by Chris Whitaker. My heart still hurts from this book. I cried so much. Like, my eyes were swollen the next day. Like, I've never been so upset by a book in my entire life. So content warning that. um, And death of a sibling, death of a parent, suicide, gun violence, every upsetting thing ever. You need to go into this book and, like, a positive place in your own life otherwise like like I'm sad for days after from this book so I wasn't going to talk about it because of that and it's really hard to talk about it without giving things away but this book will stay with me literally forever like right when I finish it I put it on my windowsill like one of the best books I've ever read and a weird thing but like I very rarely read books by men and whenever I do I'm like kind of nervous to go into it because like I hate the way that they write women and like I don't know. I'm just always like drawn to female authors, but it's not something I do on purpose. So it's like a trend I noticed, but this was obviously by a man. And I was like, all right, what am I getting myself into? I've been seeing this all over Bookstagram and I like bought it at Target blind and decided to pick it up and ruin my life with it. (laughs) (laughs) But okay. 
So the book is told in two perspectives. We have Walk and Duchess. And Walk is the chief of police in this town, Cape Haven, California. And it seems to be this kind of like idyllic beach town. There's a ton of uh, vacationers that go there. There's lots of talk about how the town's kind of changing because like new money comes in and they're like building all these vacation homes and things like that. And growing up, he had three best friends, Vincent, Martha, and Star. They were, it kind of reminded me of like the Stranger Things gang, like just that like close knit friendship. Your favorite trope. Yeah, my favorite trope. (laughs) But everything changed when they were 15 and Vincent killed Star's younger sister. Oh my God. And Uh. Walk is the one who gave the testimony that sent him to prison for 30 years. And so Vincent was 15 and sent to a men's prison. And that becomes like a big part because like, he like went through a lot while he was in prison so it's now 30 years later and vincent is getting out and it's a small town so like everyone knows the story and there's like kind of a bit of chatter about the fact that vincent's going to be coming back to the town so martha left cape haven like right after this happened when they were teenagers and star still lives there she's an addict she struggles to take care of her two children, Duchess and Robin. Walk does everything he can to help her. She's hanging out with like some really sketchy bad dudes. Like you n- can tell, she loves her kids so much, but she is just so lost in her addiction that she can't be like the best mom that she can be for them. So Duchess is her daughter. She's thirteen. Robin is five. He's a boy. I I love Duchess so much. So she calls herself an outlaw because she found out that in their family, in her family tree, she doesn't know who her dad is. So she like she had to do this project and it was very upsetting for her. She was embarrassed, like hands it in because she couldn't finish her family tree. But she found out that her great whatever grandfather was an actual outlaw. And this girl is like such a badass. And she starts calling herself an outlaw then. And she literally doesn't take shit from anyone she's so tough and it's sad because she's so hardened by life already at 13 and but she's super resilient and she just always says like this is the hand she's been dealt and she just has to deal with it and she pretty much is like raising robin but she wears like bows in her hair all the time she's obsessed with bows and it was just like this like such a small thing that was like oh right this is a child like dealing like with these super heavy things so those are our two like perspectives so vincent comes back to cape haven and this whole story is set in motion and something happens but it's kind of like a continuation of everything that happened 30 years earlier when he killed star's sister so a crime takes place one night and i'm not going to say what it is but everyone's lives are affected and changed forever again and that's literally all i'm going to say because I don't want to give away what any of it was. I was Wait, shocked. The cr- it's when he's out of jail, the yeah. second crime? Okay. Yeah. Does Is it like he for sure killed Star? Sister. The sister. Sorry, Star's sister. Yes. So I'll, I can just tell you, like, it was an accident. It was like, oh, I see. it okay. was a hit and run. And he sold his out's car. He was 15. Oh. Hit her. And that's why it's such a big deal, too, that he was sent to a men's prison for 30 years at 15 for, yeah. like, what was an accident. But you want to hate Vincent because he did this horrible thing, but like he hates himself so much. Like the only thing he had in his cell was a picture of Sissy who was 
the little girl that he killed and like he never let himself forget it like he wouldn't he earned like privileges in jail and like he wouldn't let himself watch tv he wouldn't let himself take like the Mm -hmm. extra time outside like he Mm -hmm. was like torturing himself so like you hate him but like you don't in a way and like he was also kind of a victim like of the system and like what happened to him then but oh my like I loved Duchess so much she's one of I'll like probably never forget her she's one of the strongest characters I've ever read and you would forget that she's 13 like it was just so wild so but at its core like it is a mystery for the crime that happens one night like the rest of the book when you're in Walk's perspective he's trying to figure out exactly what happened because the investigation ends up getting taken by like state police and he's like you're this is wrong so then he's on his own like investigating what happened Mm -hmm. but then when you're a duchess it's so hard to say without saying what happened her her and robin's life is completely changed and oh my gosh it was like when you're with her then it's a story about like growing up and like strength and like this child these children have gone through more than any children should and then it's like it gets so heartwarming and you're like you love where it's going and then something else happens and it just like rips your heart out again and like everyone told me that I was gonna cry and I was like definitely sad but then I made it to the last few chapters and I was like all right what is everyone saying but the end of this book like destroyed me I was sitting in my room like trying not to like make the sobbing sounds because I was like my eyes get swollen for days when I cry and I had to go into my (laughs) office the next day so I was like I can't have swollen eyes so I was like trying to contain it but I was like laying in bed that night like I was so like just so so upset and just one thing I liked about the ending it felt so real like I was talking to someone about it on bookstagram and she was like I I like when books have a happy ending and this doesn't have one but it's like this is life like not everything is wrapped up in a bow like the whole story all these like circumstances like it it was just like such a real life story I'll be thinking about it forever and when I finished it I was like wow this actually would be a good show and I would watch it and then someone messaged me that it's being made into a show oh wow Mm. so look forward to that so the we begin at the end do, do they open the book with the crime or something so we begin at the end is it like you know what happens and you're working backwards or no it's um one of the characters is like I think he's like my mom always said to me we begin at the end in like life and it comes up a few times I don't Hmm. really know what it means like psychologically (laughs) but or philosophically but yeah but like that phrase is in the book a lot so okay i've been seeing this one every it's like the beautiful clouds yeah. on the cover yeah i've seen this a lot lately i had absolutely no idea what it was about when i bought it but i was like everyone's reading it like and i saw it at target i'm like i feel left out mm-hmm. um i'm glad i read it but be prepared to have your heart ripped out put back in ripped out and then shredded oh my <laughs> god <laughs> Fun. Like, and then she giggles <laughs> <laughs> nervous laugh um <laughs> it's so sad but there's so many parts that, like I loved as well like oh, like you're just rooting for duchess like you just want the best for her where did you say where it takes place what state it starts in California and then kind of like Montana Wyoming okay. we like travel around a bit but yeah I gave it five million stars Ooh. five million yeah 
Like this wow. was just one, like this story, like will stay with me forever. It was, oh, it was so good. Um, and yeah, and that was We Begin at the End by Chris Whitaker. What's up next? Switching gears completely from this, I'm going to do Actor Age Eve Brown by Talia Hibbert. Libby? I'm going to read What I Talk About When I Talk About Running by Haruki Murakami. Ooh, Ooh. another running. I know. Sorry. (laughs) What are you reading next, Becky? Okay, so I'm kind, this is kind of up next, but like it's, I'm doing kind of a Kayla one chapter a day situation. Oh. Um, for Harry Potter a l'école des sorciers, which is Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, but in French. And the reason I'm reading this is because I've been learning French and I want to practice more. So I'm going to read a chapter a day of that. That's a cute idea. I like that. Thank you. And I will note, I did buy it used because we're not buying new Harry Potter things. But yes, it, I bought it used and I'm excited. I think it arrived today as of Ooh. the day of recording. Ooh. It's like waiting in okay. my mail room. Does it have a different cover? It does. Oh, yeah. Nice. And I think it's interesting that translates to Harry Potter at the Sorcerer's School. Oh. 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 So much different than. I When you said it, I was like, that means school. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Wow. Wild. So I'm excited. Wasn't there also something about philosophers slash sorcerers with the UK edition or something? Yeah. The UK version. I have a philosopher's stone. The up movie there. too. Oh. You know that every time they said sorcerer in the mo- the sorcerer's stone in the movie, they also filmed a version of them saying philosophers. That's so much effort. Like just make right. it one thing. <laughs> no, Kayla, yeah. it's not because everyone knows Americans are too stupid to know what the word philosopher means. <laughs> We don't have those here. You don't have <laughs> just sorcerers. Okay. Anyway, um, <laughs> Emily, what are you reading next? Uh, I would like to read "Ghosts of Harvard" by Francesca Saratella, which was recommended by uh, Rachel, who's like a friend of the podcast. I think she's a Patreon subscriber. Oh, nice, nice, so nice. I'm excited Very to cool. read that. Is it about like ghosts at Harvard, or um, or you don't have to? No. but she told me it was like dark academia which i enjoy um where can we find everyone on the book internet as emily (laughs) would say uh i'm at the lazy library i'm at sleep run read repeat i'm at becky in the bookshelves I'm at kredvat and you can find all of us at books in the city pod make sure you're using our hashtag my books in the city Please make sure you're subscribed, following, whatever it is you have to do on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. Follow us on Twitter at BATC Pod, like our Facebook page, Books in the City Pod. <laughs> if you're still here, comment. Comment what Enneagram you are. Oh, yeah. Yeah. On the Instagram episode post. Yes. Um, thank you to our Carrie Level producers, Diane Worth, Riley Harrell, Carrie Kissinger. Brenna Collins, Amanda Borgia, Elizabeth Jamka, and Susie Southwick. And if you want to join the fan club, check it out. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. We have book club going on, Beartown Book Club. Yeah, it started this week. Whoop, whoop. Or it starts this week. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Love you. <laughs>